Hi, we here at Grace Life would love to help you discover Jesus' unconditional love and grace for you. We pray that this message will be a blessing to you and further establish you in the truth of God's Word. And so uh, I'm excited to get into the Word with you, but to, to start off by asking you the question, what are you eating? Okay, what are you eating? What are you feasting on? Okay, in the Bible, often uh, uh, eating is a metaphor for believing. And, uh, you know, the saying says that you are what you eat. That's why friends don't let friends eat McDonald's. Amen? <laughs> I'm just joking. But it's not, it's not a bad, bad if you want to punish yourself, your body like that. But the point is, is that, you know, what we eat, our diet is vital. Because if you don't eat healthy, you aren't healthy, right? It's the same thing with regards to uh, our spiritual life. Your spirit is always perfect. Your spirit is um, always intact, always fully loaded, full of power. It's never going to get weakened, your, your spirit. Okay, your spirit is the spirit of God now living inside of you. So we can't improve on that. Amen? But in our minds, we can improve on what we believe about the spirit in us in our minds we can improve how we see ourselves and that's the biggest problem in uh, anybody's life is just what do we believe yeah yeah deuteronomy uh, god says yeah i place before you blessing and curse life and death choose life that you may live yeah the way to choose life is to believe right the way to choose life isn't it isn't in action, it's in believing, but right believing leads to right action. So what we believe is vital. What we believe is a matter of life or death. If you think about it in terms of, of India, where there's just cows roaming free all over the place, protected, and yet the, most of the nation is starving to death. Why? Because they have a belief about a cow that it's not food. Okay, if we believe wrong, it can affect us negatively. So it's vital that we look at what do we believe. You know, the book of Galatians, which we're not getting into, is written uh, because the church of Galatia was having a diet problem. They had a diet problem. What was their diet problem? They weren't just feasting on Jesus. They were feasting on Jesus plus something. Okay, Paul writes to them and he says, uh, um, uh, why are you allowing these Judaizers, these, these, these Jewish Christians or these Jews who are trying to impose Judaism on Christians? Why are you allowing them to come in and give you a mixed message? Because that, that, that was the essence of the problem there. They, were, they believed in Jesus. They were Christian in, in Galatia, but they were listening to other voices and they were allowing it to affect what they believed. So then they believed it was Jesus plus all these rituals. Jesus plus circumcision in order to, to have a, a relationship with God, in order to be saved. <laughs> Come out. <laughs> Just a joke. But the point is, is that, uh, you know, we, we believe different things and it affects us. And in Galatia, that was the problem. So Paul's writing and he's quite, he's quite stern with them. He's like, in Galatians chapter 3, are you Galatians mad? Have you left your senses? Are you crazy? That, 
that, that now you're starting to mix this, this, this message of freedom with bondage, in essence. You know, what is the message of freedom? It's that you don't have to do anything but believe right to be in right relationship with God. Okay, let's, let's look at Acts chapter 13 and start off there. Now, Christianity isn't just a, a religion. Christianity is not just a, a let's um, uh, go to church, read our Bible, pray, um, do good things, be good. <laughs> Christianity is about the Spirit of God coming to live inside of you because you believed something. Okay? It's not just a new box to tick when you fill in a form and it asks, what religion are you? Christianity is life. Okay? You can't undo this kind of life that you, when you receive it. Acts chapter 13, verse uh, 38 says, Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man Jesus is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. The first thing I want to just say about the gospel, the message that we believe, which brings life, is it, it's a message of forgiveness of sins. Okay? It, it's a message that you are forgiven. God's not holding anything against you. And yet, I don't know what your experience of Christianity is, but my experience of it for many years was I'm trying to get right with God. My experience as Christianity was trying to get forgiveness for the things that I've done wrong. Whereas the, the gospel is the good news, not good prophecy. The gospel is good news of what's already taken place. And what's already taken place? You're forgiven. Okay, so through Jesus is preached unto you forgiveness of sins, verse 39, and by him all that believe are justified. Justified means uh, to be made right with God, just as if you've never sinned. So by him all that believe are made right from all things which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. So what, what the, uh, Paul is saying here is that you could not be made right through human effort. You could not be made right because you do right. You can only be made right by believing in what Jesus has done for you and is freely offering you. And when you believe that, now you are justified, made right with God. And this is the problem in, that we have in the, the, the church of Galatia, is that they were taking this message and saying, yes, you're, you're, you're saved by grace through faith, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8, but you still need to. And then they would add on all these needs to need to's. And there, there are some good things to do. Amen. There's some good things for us to do in the Christian life, but we don't do them to try and get right with God. We do them because we are right with God. We don't do them to try and get God to be pleased with us. We do them because he is pleased with us. Our lives are only a response to God. We are not trying to get God to move or respond to us. Okay. But religion will turn it on its head and tell you, you've got to do things in order for God to move in your life. God moves through Jesus. <laughs> okay? Now he's waiting for us to respond to him. And that movement that started with Jesus will now move in you according to your response. Not according to how much you can attract God. You know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Okay? God came in human flesh to save us, to rescue us. That was God 
trying to get our attention. Okay, he didn't come because man got his attention. Before Jesus came, the world wasn't crying out, Jesus come. Okay, that, 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 that's not why Jesus came. Jesus came because God saw a problem and he wanted to fix it. So God made the first move. And then when he made the first move, now he's waiting for us to respond to that. He's waiting for us to give him, his, uh, give him our attention. You're not trying to get God's attention. You're, God is waiting for you to give him your attention. Isn't that powerful? Yeah, I spoke to someone the other day and they were like, how do I, I get, um, how did they put it? How do I get God to move in my life? Basically, how do I get God's attention? You, you never lost God's attention. God's not, not, you don't have to try and shout and scream and jump for God to, to pitch up or to, to give you some attention. He's waiting for you to give him some attention. Because Christianity is about your heart and life is about our hearts responding to him. But he's already moved. We're not trying to get God to move. Okay? Even in revival, like we're not waiting for God to do something. He's waiting for us to do something. The book of Acts shows us that clearly. The reason why amazing things happen through the book of Acts is because people, full to the Spirit of God, stepped out in faith and did something. It's the same thing today. God's not going to do diddly squat in our nations in the whole world without us going. That's why we're going to Albania. That's why we're, we're going into to different uh, areas in South Africa. Because we're taking the Spirit of God with us to minister to people and to reach people so that they can give Him uh, their attention. Okay? So that they can feast on the right thing. Because it's all about what are we feasting on? Okay? What are we feasting on? Look at, what's this? this uh, Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13 <clears throat> says in verse 9, I'm reading from the Amplified here, it says, Do not be carried away by diverse and strange teaching, for it is, a good, for, for it is good for the heart to be established and strengthened by grace, not with foods, rules of diet and ritualistic meals, which bring no benefit or spiritual growth, to those who observe them. So the, the, the writer is encouraging us to be rooted and established, grounded and strengthened in grace. What he has done for us, not what we do for him. Okay? And an emphasis and a focus on what we do for God is always religion. It's always a system of religion. But what God is interested in, are you grounded and established in what I've done for you? Okay, because the, the problems in the Christian life are usually only rooted to this one thing, or only always come back to this one issue. What do you believe about God, about yourself, about the gospel? It's a knowledge problem that causes us to perish in this life. It's an eating problem that causes us to perish in this life. Either you're not eating, or you're eating the wrong thing, and it causes you to, to, to not experience what God wants you to experience. You've got, as a Christian, you've got the Spirit of God living inside of you. 
But that does you no good in this life unless you believe that. You're, you're feasting on that truth. Because then it produces life. Amen? Hopefully you'll believe it by the end of the message. <laughs> so we're not carried about, we're not uh, uh, by, by different things, by different feastings, different teachings, strange things, things that are strange to the word. We, we, we're strengthened in grace. And it says there that you know, the, 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 the focus on uh, 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 rules, on the law, on ritualistic meals, there's no benefit in it. That's what this verse says. These things bring no benefit or spiritual growth. What brings our spiritual growth? How do we grow spiritually? If we're keeping it to the theme that I'm going with, it's feasting on the right thing. That brings spiritual growth. If you don't feast on the right thing, it doesn't bring growth. It might even stunt your growth. Okay? And again, we're not talking about your spirit growing. We're talking about your soul, your mind, your will, your intellect growing in accordance with what's already taken place in your spirit. So diet is vital. Your diet determines your fruitfulness. It determines your maturity. It determines your experience in this Christian life. It determines your victory. If you're not experiencing victory now in this life, it's because you're eating wrong. It's not because God's withholding something from you. You're feasting on the wrong thing. Healing-wise, let's look at that for a moment. Healing is available for us in Christ. He is the healer. Okay? But often what happens is, is we're trusting God for healing. What do I need to do? God, please show me what do I need to do to be healed. Like okay, I fasted for a couple of weeks or days or whatever it was, hours, minutes. But now <laughs> I, like, I like short fasts like that. Between meals, I fast. So, you know, it's like a, I'm fasted, Lord, why am I not healed? God, you know, I've been doing this, I've been doing that, why am I not healed? And it's like, well, maybe it's because you're focused on what you need to do and you're not grounded and established in what he's done. That's what we need to be focused on. That's what we need to be established in. Is what has he done? Not what do I do to get from God. All that you do to get from God is believe. The floodgates of heaven are open over your life it's up to you to experience it or not. By right feasting, right believing. If you don't believe or feast right, you're not going to experience right. So let's turn to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. We've got a, an amazing story here of a, an amazing father and who has two sons. And in this account, in this story we see that uh, 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 the son wants his inheritance. Okay, you should know the story. So he goes to his father, and it's a huge insult. He says to his father, I want my inheritance. That's as good as saying, I wish you were dead. He takes his inheritance from his father, and he goes and he squanders it. Okay? And he's just he's squandering it to the point where now he, he's hit rock bottom. Someone here, you might think you've hit rock bottom. You know, if you're still more, if you look down and there's still a way to go, you're not there yet. <laughs> okay, this guy had hit rock bottom. And in Luke chapter 15, I'm going to read from the New King James. It says uh, verse 11 to 32, or not 11 to 32, I'm going to read from verse 14 here. Yeah? It says, but when he had spent all, when the son had given up everything, 
there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Verse 15, then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed the swine, the pigs. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. So he was hungry. This was rock bottom for him, okay? The lowest of the low. Let me go and hang out with the pigs. Let, uh, and that was his job, to feed the pigs. But now he's in this place of uh, uh, wishing he could eat the pig's food. Anyone seen pig's food? I Googled it once. I, wanted to, I should have put a picture on the screen for you. <laughs> it's horrible, okay? This story reveals the unconditional love of the father for his son. Now, let me ask you one question during this whole story. When did the son who forsook his father ever stop being a son? Not a trick question. He was always a son, but he just went away from the father. Okay? He forsook his father. This, this um, account you'll also see is all about eating. This, this whole account is all about eating. You see that the son is now, eats, he's hungry because he's not eating. He's, he's feasting on the wrong food. He wants to eat the wrong food even, the, the pig's food. Okay? He was in a, a household where he grew familiar with what he had. He had taken for granted what he had with his father, and he thought, I'll find better elsewhere. I want my freedom. And so he gave up everything to go and hit rock bottom. Verse 17. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare and I perish with hunger? I mean, that's quite a, a, a striking statement. Okay. He, 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 but in it, you've got to see, he's starting to identify with a servant. He's not, he, he knows he's a son because he says, how many of my father's hired servants are well looked after? And I'm perishing. So he, he, he knows he's a son, but he's equating himself or likening himself to a servant now. In verse 18, he says, I will arise and go to my father. Why? Because I'm a son. Okay, but look here. And I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So here we see two mentalities which you find quite prevalent in the body of Christ. A servant mentality or a son mentality. We are children of God. We're not servants of God. But as children of God, we get to serve God. We get the privilege of deciding if we're going to serve in, in, in the family business or not. We are all called to the family business. What's the family business? Reaching the lost, discipling them. Establishing them in the truth so they can live fruitful lives. Our, our business is eternity. Okay? We're all called to that, but... Okay, we're all called to that, but we're primarily called, firstly, to be children of the king. So this, this, this boy, he's perishing because he's hungry, and he thinks of his father's generosity towards his servants. Okay, he's thinking of his father's generosity towards the servants. He likens himself to a servant, not a son. Why? Because he doesn't feel worthy. This is another big problem in the body of Christ. And I'm sure for many of you, this is a problem in your life. You don't feel worthy. 
you don't feel worthy. If you don't feel worthy, you're not going to take advantage of what belongs to you. If you don't feel worthy, you're not going to receive what you need easy. You, you're first of all going to work for it. You're going to think, maybe I should fast a bit for God to, to keep his end of the deal up. God doesn't, isn't waiting for you to do something to deserve anything. Jesus is the declaration that you deserve from God what he said he would give you. Okay? So the truth is that even though you're a son, you might be feeling unworthy. Let's look at verse 20. Luke chapter 15. And he arose and came to his father. So he went home. And while he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion, and ran, and fell on his neck, and kissed him. How many of you think the father was happy to see the son? And the son said to the father, now he's got his prepared speech. Okay, he says, now, now let's just look at this. The father must have really been longing for the son, if he saw him a, a, a great way off, and then basically dropped everything and ran. This dignified man ran. He didn't get, send his servants to go and get the, um, the, the, uh, um, the, the, the son that's returning. He himself went. Okay. And, and he says, um, now the son's preparing this. He's got his prepared speech. And he says, Father, I've sinned against heaven. And in your sight, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Okay. So he's, he, he, he's having a little bit of a pity party. And the, the, the father's ignoring it. Look, you're going to see now how the father ignores his pity party. Okay? Pity parties aren't a, a, a godly thing. <laughs> you know, it's a party for one where, where the Holy Spirit isn't going to, to have fun. He's not going to leave you. He's there, but he's not having a pity party with you. Okay? Verse 22. Now the father cuts into this little speech. I'm not worthy to be called your son. And then it says, but, straight away, it says, but the father said, to his servants. The father didn't engage in the pity party. I think often when we go to God with our pity parties, God's not engaging with us. Not because he's not compassionate, not because he doesn't love us, but because he's got something else which is more important to focus on. And it's got to do with us. But he isn't wanting us to just stay in the, the hole. You know, you, you've dug yourself a nice hole, you've jumped in the hole, you can't get out of the hole, and it's just like darkness down there, and it's dirty, and there's spiders, and whatever else you don't like is there. And now you're like crying out to God, and he's like, hang on a minute, you can just easily get out of that. Let's carry on. Let's move forward. Okay, but look, look yeah, the father didn't listen to the pity party because he wanted to get his son ready for the real party. There's a party coming up. Okay, there's a big banquet, a feast that's about to take place. And if the son stayed in his pity party with the pigs, he wouldn't have enjoyed the real party. So thank God he moved out of the pig party into to, towards where the real party was happening. But here's the thing. Okay, the father didn't engage with him in the pity party. He was pulling him towards the real party. Okay, and straight away the father interrupts. And he says, but, the, it says, but the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him. He didn't feel worthy. He didn't feel worthy to be a son. But what, is, what does this father do? Bring, bring the best robe and put it on him. 
Put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf here and kill it. And let us eat and be merry. It's about food, this, this, this story. It's about eating, you'll see. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. They began to have a party, a banquet, a buffet. Okay? He says, kill the fatted calf. Let us eat and be merry. Let's have a party. What party is a party without food? There's going to be food at this party. It's about eating. <laughs> okay? <clears throat> so the fatted calf is, is, quite some, is, is a significant part of the story. Okay, it's a significant part of the story. Calves were, were commonly used for sacrifices, and it's mentioned in scripture of Gen from Genesis to Malachi uh, uh, often. But the fatted calf was the choicest of food. Okay, the fatted calf was a special sacrifice. It was your best sacrifice. Okay. In Jeremiah 34, it speaks about a calf being cut in two, and then you're passing through it in order to to make a, a covenant between two parties. Okay? Now I'm going to jump out of that thought very quickly and say, Jesus is our fatted calf. In that he uh, uh, made a covenant for us in which we live in. Okay, we don't have a covenant with God, but we're in a covenant in a sense of relationship with him because of something that happened. Okay? Jesus was our fatted calf to offer uh, uh, that was offered for us to reunite us with God. Okay, now with that in mind, let's read the story. 25. <clears throat> now the oldest son was in the field, and he came and drew near to the house. He heard music and he heard dancing. It's a party. Okay, so he called one of his servants, one of the servants, and asked him what was going on. What does this mean? And the servant said to him, your brother has come home. And because he has received him, your father has received him safe and sound, he has killed the fatted calf. It's about food, right eating. He says, your father has killed the fatted calf. It's important enough for him to mention the fatted calf has been killed and there's a party, okay? So there is significance in this calf. Verse 28. But this son was angry and wouldn't go in. Before his father came out, therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. His father came out and pleaded with him. And so he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I never transgressed your commandments at any time, and yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours, not my brother, this son of yours, as soon as he comes home, he's devoured your livelihood with harlots, and you go and kill the fatted calf for him. So this father comes out to plead with the other son. Both sons are legalistic. Both sons. The son who went away comes back and he thinks he's going to get treated as he deserves. I deserve to be your servant. Treat me like your servant. That's legalism. It's based on action. It's based on I, God's going to treat me the way I deserve. But grace says you get treated better than you deserve. Mercy says you don't get treated, uh, you, you, you don't get treated as you deserve. 
Okay, grace is that you're now being treated much better than you deserve. But mercy is, hey, I'm not going to treat you as you deserve. So this first son that went out, he comes back and he's got a legalistic mindset in that he feels he should be treated. He deserves, he's going to get what he deserves from his father. The other son is out in the field and he's legalistic. And he comes back and he's like, you have treated, haven't treated me as I deserve. You've treated him better than you deserve. I deserve better than this guy. Can you see that? And he even says, now the father's coming and pleading with him to come and enjoy the buffet. He's pleading with him, come and join the party. Come celebrate with me. Okay. And he says, you never even gave me a young goat. Can you see it's about food? He says, you've never even given me a young goat. It's, a, it's all central, centered around this fatted calf. This son of yours comes home and you kill the fatted calf for him. It's about food. As soon as this son of yours, the older brother, isn't showing love for his brother because he's illegalist. He deserves to be treated badly, not, not goodly. Okay, he's legalistic. His brother doesn't deserve anything. And he's, you know, he, this son is that he's the one who's been working hard in the field. I haven't forsaken you. I've been here all along. I deserve a party. Why don't I get a party? Verse 31. And he said to him, son, you're always with me. And all that I have is yours. It was right that you should make merry and be glad, have a party. For your brother was dead and is alive again, was lost and is now found. So this fatted calf, let's think about this. This fatted calf, who did it belong to? It was the father's, but it belonged to the family. So it, it was the, the, the son's as well. And that's what the father's bringing to his attention. All that I have is yours, including the fatted calf. Everything that I have is yours, including this fatted calf. Okay? The goats are yours too. You want him to eat? You know, he, he's, he's, imagine, he, he's, he's, he's taking himself down quite a few notches. From fatted calf to goat. Young goat. He's like, you know, you didn't even give me a goat. You didn't offer me a scrap. But if he had asked, often that's our problem. Is we, we're expecting everything just to fall on our heads. But we're not pursuing. We're not, we're not actively like, thank you, Father, for this. Thank you that I'm receiving this or whatever the case is. We're just expecting it to magically just appear or something. But he never made a claim on what was his. Why? Why was this older son, why, why did he never make a claim on what belonged to him? Because he was too busy working. He was too busy trying to earn it. He was too busy trying to deserve it. And yet it was already his. As believers, we do the same thing. We're trying to work and earn something that already belongs to us. And we just need to cash in and receive it. You know, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. 2 Peter 1, verse 3 says, For his divine power has bestowed on us absolutely everything necessary for a dynamic spiritual life and godliness through true and personal knowledge of him who called us by, by his own glory and excellence. So let's get back to the food. Preparing you for your lunch. 
There cannot be a celebration for long without food. Yeah, if you, if you, I have this issue that I, I, if I'm just busy working and, and seeing people or doing whatever I do in the day, I can easily not remember to get food. So God bless me with a wife <laughs> who, who is like, sends me messages while I'm out. Have you eaten? And if she knows who I'm with, she'll message them and ask them, has Shane eaten? <laughs> so that I, I, I make sure that I don't faint along the way. But here's the point. It's like you can't do what you're called to do if you're not eating properly. You can't, you can't endure and persevere and run your race if you're not eating properly or if you're not eating. So we need to make sure that we are eating properly and a celebration always has food. So when we get together as a church family, it's a celebration. There should always be food, this message, okay? There's singing and you can dance if you want or whatever, but, but, and our hearts are rejoicing because we're one with Jesus and he's here and he's ministering to us and we're enjoying this together, but we're not just celebrating Jesus there's, an, uh, there's Jesus and we're celebrating him. Obviously, we're one with him and we're celebrating him, but we're also feasting on him. The celebration has a main meal. And this main meal is Jesus. And so we need to make sure we're feasting on Jesus. That, 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 that the teachings that you're listening to in the week, it's not just something that tickles your ear and makes you feel good, but it's something which is nourishing you. Something which is building you up. Something which is strengthening you. Jesus is the message of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. And so, if we're pulling out anything else from Genesis to Revelation and feasting on that, it's a bad diet. It's a bad diet. I think I've heard Etienne say this once, and so I feel free to do it. But it's, you know, people do this proverbs all the time. I want to be a successful business person. I want to have wisdom, whatever. So I'm going to take a chapter of Proverbs every day because there's a chapter of Proverbs for every day and I'm going to go through it like this. And you can put all your emphasis, all your focus, all your effort into digging out truths from the book of Proverbs without ever focusing on Jesus. Proverbs isn't your savior. Jesus is. You need to be focused and feasting on Jesus. You know, when, when we're feasting, it's, it's, it's good to, to be attentive, to be receiving. Even if it's a word that you've heard before. My favorite food, like let's say I, I, at Christmas time, I enjoy gammon. Okay, praise God for, the, the, for what Jesus did to, to allow us to eat pork. Okay, but now, now, now I like eating gammon, but every Christmas comes, I'm not bored with gammon. I love gammon. I'm not bored with it, okay? Point being is that if I've heard something, I can still get something out of it. I must just approach it with the right heart, okay? Faith comes by hearing, not heard. Faith comes by hearing and hearing and hearing. We need to be digging in and receiving these truths afresh and allowing them to, to, to nourish us. We want to be digging into the word together. Yep, we, we've developed a culture in uh, leadership meetings and, and things like that within Grace Life where we, we say, okay, we're going to feast on the word. And so we're like, what did you get out of the message on Sunday? And then we'll go around the circle and we're like, what did you get out of the message on Sunday? What is the reason for that? It's not to check that you were listening. 
you know, it, it's to feast on because now you, you hear a message and Devin will get something out of it that, that, that uh, Alana didn't get out of it and Sean will get something out which none of us got out of it. You know, and it's like we're all just sharing what we got out of it. And it's like then you're able to enjoy it even more. And, and you can see things that other people saw that you didn't see. It's feasting together. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25 from the easy to read says, we must, must not quit meeting together as some are doing. No, we need to keep on encouraging each other. This becomes more and more important as you see the day getting closer. So getting together is an opportunity for us to feast together, to encourage one another together, to build us up so that we can stand strong in the week, so we can overcome in the week, so we can fulfill our calling of reaching people in the week. Okay? This is why we feast together uh, uh, on a Sunday. But now going back to this, you know, the, 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 the father comes out. The, he, he brings the son into this feast. Okay, into this party. And then the other son is outside. He's not inside, okay, he's outside. The servant comes and tells the father, listen, your other son is waiting outside. He doesn't want to come in. What does the father do? He goes out to plead with the son, come in and feast on Jesus with us. Why I'm bringing that up is because so often we spend most of our time Pleading with the believers who won't come in to feast on Jesus. Now we need to go into the world to, to reach people and bring them in. But especially with people who haven't got a revelation of grace. We, we, we can share with them. We can do that. But realize that the father is also going to do. And it's a father's job to, to, to convince them. We, we can do what we can. But don't do it to the exclusion of the party. Don't say, well, I'm going to be focused on this. I don't have time to come and feast because the feasting is your nourishment. What you're focused on is your nourishment. And it's going to determine how you live your life. Let's look at Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. What we're feasting on, what we're focused on is so vital. Because for a lot of us, our lives are troubled. Our hearts are troubled because our focus is wrong. Because we're feasting on the wrong thing. And there's many uh, 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 things that we could be focusing on that are wrong. For example, if your whole prayer life at the moment and your whole focus in Bible study and what you're discussing with people all the time is to do with the vaccination, you need to get over it. And you need to move on and focus on Jesus. It's important. We need to make decisions with that. We need to pray about it. But if it's taking up the majority of your focus in your life, that's why your life is going the way that it is. It can go a lot better if you have the right fuel. Okay. Uh, Luke chapter 10, verse 38 to 42. King, New King James says, Now it happened, as they went, they entered into a certain village. And a certain woman named Martha welcomed him, Jesus, into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who also sat at Jesus' feet, and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me alone to serve? Tell her to help me. And Jesus answered to her and said, Martha, 
Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things. But one thing is needful. And Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. So Martha is distracted with a good thing, serving. We need to make sure that we are not distracted with good things that are holding us away from the main thing. Good is always the enemy of great. So we mustn't be just so consumed with good things like serving that we're neglecting receiving from Jesus, which is the main thing. Yet Jesus here says to her, one thing is needful, and she's chosen. Mary has chosen that good thing. What is that good thing? To sit at his feet and receive his word. Okay? That was the good thing. To sit, firstly. To sit. Mary was sitting. It's a place of rest. We shouldn't be striving. You know, there's a place, like Paul said, because of the grace of God, I labor more abundantly. So as believers, we should be laboring abundantly. But why? Why and how? Why and how can we labor more abundantly? It's because we're coming from that place of rest where we're sitting at his feet and receiving his word. And his word is nourishing us. The gospel is nourishing us and enabling us to be able to work more abundantly. Now, what is that work? It's not to try and get something from God. It's just reaching people for God. It's a family business. Okay? You know, when we aren't feasting on Jesus, when we're not feasting on grace, the, the true gospel, we'll settle for anything. You know, I, I, I've, I've realized that a lot of the time people are um, bored with Jesus and the gospel for some reason. And so that's why they get into all sorts of interesting things that take a lot of effort and work. Yeah, if it's a lot of effort and work, it shouldn't be for us. There's effort in evangelism. There's effort in, in uh, going into all the world and preaching the gospel. But you know, for some people, it's like, you know what? We're, 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 we're fasting and we're praying and we're doing this and we're doing that. because And the because is never souls to be saved. The reason is often not, not kingdom in a sense of eternity, but the reason why we do a lot of things we do in church worldwide is because me. I want a good life. I want prosperity. I want healing. I want this. I want that. And God wants to minister to us, but we shouldn't be so self-centered about our experience with God and, and church. This isn't a consumer opportunity. This is a participating opportunity. You know, as we grow in our relationship with God and mature, we should be partaking in the fellowship of the saints, not just coming to sit and have someone spoon feed us all the time. But what I mean by partaking is bring a word, give some encouragement to someone, love on someone. Don't just uh, 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 come and go. But if we're not feasting on Jesus, if we're not feasting on grace, we start running on our own strength. That's when we start to rely on carnal wisdom. Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, and he says, be strong in the grace. Be strong in what Jesus has done for you, not what you do for him. Be strong in what he's done for you, not what you do for him. Because that's the fuel for your life. A lot of people rather focus in on what do I have to do for God 
that's a comes from a, a genuine heart, but it's genuinely wrong. <laughs> Our desire shouldn't just be what can I do for God, but what has he done for us? And then everything else is a response. I lived for, for a long time in that what I was doing for God was trying to please God. All my efforts in, in ministry you know, uh, 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 15, 20 years ago were all because I wanted to try and please God and get God to notice me. And then, you know, when I, when I got a revelation of grace, what Jesus has done for me and what he's freely offering me, it changed everything. Number one, I realized God is pleased with me. I realized that, that now I'm, uh, 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 God's not treating me as I deserve. He's treating me better than I deserve. That I've got grace and mercy. I realized that, that because he's pleased with me, I don't have to do something to try and get his attention. He's just waiting for my attention. And so I gave him my attention and I received from him. And now I, I'm doing more than I did previously. I'm working harder than, than I did previously. By the grace of God, we labor more abundantly. We receive that empowering. And then we, we're going for it from the right um, uh, motivation. You know, when we choose the one thing that's needful, everything else kind of falls into place. What is that one thing? Now, you might have struggles in your life. Most people do. You might have issues and things that you're needing to overcome and whatever. Most people do. But what's the difference between someone who's overcome and someone who's, who's walking in victory and someone who's enjoying their abundant life and, and the person who's not? Usually, there's a lot to do with focus. It's got a lot to do with what are you believing? What are you feasting on? Are you focused in on Jesus and feasting on him and on his word? Or are you just focused on your problems, which is magnifying them and making them bigger in your life? Because that's going to keep you there. So one thing is needful. We need to operate out of this place of rest in Jesus. When you take time to sit at his feet and receive his word, and allow that word to nourish you, it's never a waste of time. It's never a waste of time. Yeah? It, 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 praying in the Spirit, sometimes you, you can kind of, we know it's good for us, we know we need to do it, but we don't engage in it enough because we haven't, we haven't you know, we just feel like it might be a waste of time, I can do something better like whatever else. <laughs> And, and yet we're not experiencing the power of the Spirit in our lives because we're not giving the attention to the Spirit in our lives. The, 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 the power flows when we give attention to it. And so all we, God's waiting for us just to give Him some attention. That's faith. It's another way of saying faith. Just giving Him attention. Okay? Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 to 2. Remember, the question is, what are you eating? What are you feasting on? Therefore, Hebrews 12, verse uh, 1 to 2. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. How do we run our race? By feasting on Jesus, focusing on Jesus. What does it mean to focus on Jesus? Do you need to get a picture of him, put it on your wall? No. 
Okay, do you need to get a, a, a crucifix or something and focus on that on your wall? No. Okay, what does it mean to focus on Jesus? We're going to come to Hebrews 12 again now. Um, but look with me quickly at uh, Colossians chapter 3. This shows us what it means to, to focus on Jesus, to fix our attention on Jesus and to feast on Jesus. Okay, verse 1. If you then, or, uh, uh, let me read the New Living Translation. It starts with, since you have been raised with Christ to a new life. Set your sights, your focus on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in a place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven and not the things of earth. The King James says, set your affection on things above, not on things on earth. So what is that saying? It's saying focus on Jesus. He's seated in heaven. He's in a place of victory. So you're focusing on the victory of Christ, and now that you're one with Him, you're focusing on that oneness with Him, that union with Him, and that focus on your union with Him will give birth to fruitfulness. Now think of it in terms of a vine. What's it? John 15. Jesus saying, I'm the vine, and you are the branches. Okay, if you want to bear fruit, you've got to let the life of the vine flow through you. It's Christ in you, your hope of fruitfulness, your hope of glory, your hope to, to live in victory. It's not your effort, it's Him. We need to stay focused in on Him and feasting on Him. Okay, back to Hebrews chapter 12. So it says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Our faith starts with focusing on Jesus. Our faith is strengthened by focusing on Jesus. Our faith is complete by focusing on Jesus, not by focusing on our holiness. Holiness is a good thing. But as long as you're focused in on what you've done, you're not focusing on what he's done. As long as you're focusing on what you can do for God, you're not focusing on what he's done for you. Verse 3 is powerful. It says, consider him. Consider who? Jesus. Lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. We become discouraged the moment we stop focusing on Jesus and what he's done for us. As soon as we're starting to focus on, on other things, we become tired and discouraged and we want to give up. So if you're in a place of wanting to give up, it's because you're not focused on Jesus. I can almost guarantee that. You can't be focused on Jesus and what he's done for you and not be happy. Yeah, John, uh, what's it? Philippians chapter 4, verse 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. If you're focused on your circumstances, there might not be an opportunity or a reason to rejoice. But if you're focused in on the Lord and what He's done for you, there's always a reason to rejoice. Always. There's never a reason not to rejoice. But you don't know what I'm going through, Shane. I'm sure it's difficult. I've gone through difficult things too. But in those difficult, challenging times, when I focused on Jesus, it helped me overcome. When I focused on what he's done for me, it helped me to experience joy. Even when there was a loved one who passed away, I would focus on the joy of eternity. And I would experience joy in that moment. When we focus on Jesus and what he's done for us, we will not become tired and weary, and discouraged, and give up. 
What you focus on is what you're feasting on. What you're focused on is what you're feasting on. And so you need to be careful what you're focused on, what you're feasting on, because it's determining the rest of your life. It's determining what your, uh, uh, um, the outcome is determined by what you're focused on. There's one more verse I want to get you quickly. What you're focused on is what you're giving power to. I'll leave it. The point is, is that we can, we can be troubled because of the world. The, Jesus said, uh, John 16, verse 33, in this world, you will have trouble. Okay? So if you're focusing on the world, you can be troubled easily. If you're focused on your circumstances, you can be troubled easily. But if you're focused on and feasting on Jesus, Jesus said, in this world, you'll have trouble, but take heart, be of good courage, for I have overcome the world. If you focus on the fact that Jesus has overcome the world and you're in Christ, then it's going to cause something to rise up within you to overcome because you've already overcome in Christ. We can't lose. But if you're focused on the negative, you feel like you're losing and you, 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 you're taking major steps backwards. Thank God for eternity, you've won. But we want to win in this life. We want to overcome in this life. And in order for us to overcome, we must make Jesus the center of our focus and our teaching and our hearing and everything, our believing. We don't believe that we're strong because of discipline, because of self-effort, because we've made ourselves strong, because of whatever. We, we, we believe that we're strong because of Jesus. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Be strong in the Lord. Not be strong in yourself. I'm going uh, to finish off with that verse. Ephesians chapter 6. The passion puts it beautifully. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Now, my beloved ones, I have saved these most important truths for life. Be supernaturally infused with strength through your life union with the Lord Jesus. Stand victorious with the force of his explosive power flowing in and through you. We are strong because of him. There's a strength in you as a Christian, which you might not have realized yet. You might not be experiencing that strength yet. That strength is healing power if you need physical healing. That strength is joy if you need joy. That strength of the spirit that's within you is the answer to whatever you're facing. But you cannot experience it while you're focused externally on all the things that are going wrong or on trying to do things to be right. You've got to focus in on Christ in you. You've got to focus in on the victorious one who now lives in you, the greater one who lives in you, and it will cause you to rise up and overcome. Amen. We'd love to hear from you. If you'd like to connect with us, or if you'd like us to pray with you, please contact us at info at gracelife.co. If you'd like to order more resources or discover more about us, you can visit our website at www.gracelife.co or find us on Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube.